This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ben Hong, and today on our panel, we have Ari Clark. Hello. Chris Fritz. Hello. And Elizabeth Fine. <laughs> Hello. And today we're here to talk about our tools, workflows, and just nerd out on productivity. So, you know, let's start with the, the base question. What is your developer tool stack, starting with your browser? Let's just go around the panel. Ari, why don't you start? Chrome. Okay, Chris, you're up. Chrome also. Yeah, primarily, you know, I test in other browsers too, but Chrome's my go-to. Good. And Elizabeth? Firefox. Ooh. I used to be on Chrome. Now I'm, now I'm really on the Firefox train a little bit. So no, I'm not going to lie. From what I've seen, their developer tooling has gotten really good. But unfortunately, the only browser we support is Chrome. Okay. <laughs> I really has a very tooling. legitimate reason to be on yeah. Chrome. <laughs> it's, it is really, really good. But that's one of the reasons why I like developing on Firefox because the, the developer tools are great. And I find that the network tab is really easy to look through Ooh. and it's really easy to view. And the console is really clean. So yeah, I really like Firefox, but I also do use Chrome like half the time. So yeah, for myself, I use Chrome as well, but I have been like sort of edging over to Firefox. One of the things I love Firefox for is they have a built-in like screenshot feature where you mm -hmm. can just right-click, take a screenshot, and they can actually do the whole page of the what? website instead of like just like taking one shot and then like scrolling down and like shotting it. You just oh my gosh, the whole page mine is just blown. Boom! Like you get the yes. whole thing, and like in Chrome, you have to install an extension, and like Firefox is native. It's oh my gosh! So okay, <laughs> you just changed my workflow a little bit. A lot of the reason I use Chrome is for like because I don't think. I use a browser stack sometimes for mm -hmm. browser testing, and I don't think they have a Firefox extension. So yeah, that's a lot of the reason why I end up on Chrome for extensions that I need and stuff. And sure, you know, yeah, cool. We didn't do you, did we? I'm on. Oh, Chrome you did okay. primarily, but I'm actually playing with going over to Firefox. Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah, like join the the dark side. More of a light side. I've I've had dalliances. I've had I've had many dalliances with Firefox Ooh, over the years. Well, uh, I was actually a Firefox person for like a decade until I became a developer. So Quantum made it really good. Like I really like Firefox after it went Quantum. Okay, so how about code editor of choice? So I'm on VS Code. Ari, VS Code. VS Code. I mean, that's uh, for for Vue. Like, d definitely the best experience. That's literally why I made the switch because I was using Atom, but I was like, well, yeah, looks like VS Code is the best option if I'm going to do Vue. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Elizabeth? Yep, I'm also on VS Code, which it's awesome. Yeah, it's really yeah. great. I used to be on Lime <laughs> Text, and I paid like the eighty dollars for my license. So believe me when I say I went kicking and screaming to VS Code. <laughs> I paid for yeah. this editor and Microsoft made this free thing. Yeah, no I'm way. Just like, Ew. Can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, nope, okay, this is great. This Darn is it. Awesome. <laughs> and, 
And I don't think we can mention VS Code without also mentioning the Vitor extension. Yeah, which like adds syntax highlighting and snippets and, and a bunch of other things for view files. Really a must have if you're a view developer. And it is officially maintained by the team too. Ooh, I actually did not know that. Yeah, it's maintained by Pine Wu, who is a member of not only the view team, but also the VS Code team. Oh, that's like a double I know. So it's <laughs> like not only a great view extension, but it's like one of the best extensions that exist for VS Code period. Yeah, Pine's amazing. If you ever get a chance, check out his talk from the first ViewConf US. Okay, so speaking of VS Code, there is the integrated terminal. So what are they doing for terminal? Like, is everyone here using the VS Code? Yeah, terminal? I use the built-in terminal, but I also use just terminal. Oh, you use yeah. just terminal? Just terminal. Not yeah. even like iTerm or anything, just straight up. Oh, no, terminal? no, vanilla, vanilla terminal. Vanilla. Wow. <laughs> but no, so like I use the built in terminal for everything Git related, but then like for running servers and stuff, I just run those in, in terminal. Do you so, also okay. use shell instead of bash? I use Zish. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you're on Zish at least. Okay. <laughs> At least. <laughs> I don't feel judged at all. Yeah, but you've, you've redeemed yourself slightly. <laughs> On the built-in terminal, I've noticed recently that, so if you have a server running, let's say, in your built-in terminal in a workspace, then you switch workspaces, then it cancels your terminal, obviously. So recently I've been starting to run my servers in a separate terminal, not... Um the actual terminal, the iTerm, and Yay, then, I um, <laughs> yeah, and then, which I, you know what, not even that long ago, I used to have my iTerm with, you know, you can customize it and make it look however you want. I got really carried away and I made it like 60% opaque. So you could what? see through a lot of it and it just made it horrible and really hard to read. And I can't believe I ever worked <laughs> like that. So I'd have like multiple iTerm windows and they're all overlapping and they're all semi-transparent. I don't do that anymore. have a screenshot of that. I would love to see that. Wow. <laughs> no, those are the old so, days. I do at least theme terminal. Okay. So. Oh, so okay. Okay, at least you have a theme. It's not just a black and white yeah. character. Right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, then you're all forgiven. Um, yeah, I'm on iTerm as well and use Oh My Zish. That's definitely... Although I think... Oh My Zish? Yep, I don't know what that is. Oh. They're changing. Yeah, so it's basically it's Zish, but it, it's like it comes with basically like package theming and like it comes with a it. bunch of aliases that are super nifty. Like hmm. I just type GAA for Git at all. Oh, it is the cool. best. Yeah, definitely. If you're using Zish already, just worth checking yeah. out. Although I remember Chris saying something about something called Fish, I believe. Yeah, so I, I guess I'll I'll go and just talk about the whole thing. Like uh, I use the VS Code integrated terminal for most things related to a specific workspace. But there yeah. are some things, like when I run view UI, I'll do that in a separate iTerm window. Or even sometimes just like regular terminal. <gasps> it's been known to happen. It's been known to happen. Because I, I just want something like running in the background. <laughs> I just want something running in the background like for all of the projects that I might use and not have to worry about the terminal closing when I switch workspaces, as Elizabeth was saying. Yeah, I also have to SSH into servers a lot for my work, so it makes sense to have that separate. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I use, like, I have, like, beautiful, beautiful themes and stuff like that that I've set up. I, I like my terminal and my editor to just be, like, a place that I want to hang out. And, I, totally I, yeah. I like that. And I use Fish, which is, like, 
I'd say if you're a keyboard geek, I also use Colomac. And I'd say Colomac is a Dvorak as fish is to Zish. And that's so, fish without eyes? So for the people who like really care about like keyboard layouts, they'll say like Dvorak. No, it's fish with, with an eye. Okay. For people who really care about keyboard layouts, they'll often use Dvorak if they want to optimize that. And then the people who are like mega nerds who really care and actually did the research, they'd be using Colomac instead because it's better. <laughs> and with the terminal, it's the same way. So like if you're, if you're kind of geeky about your terminal, you know, you're probably using Zish. But if you actually want a terminal that isn't super slow and is super customizable and does exactly what you need to do and you don't mind like learning a slightly different syntax so that not all the bash commands work, then you'll use fish. Yeah. But why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you do it if you're just like a control freak. <laughs> you do you, Chris. You do you. Yeah. If you want a control freak and it, it gives you anxiety thinking that maybe you're not doing the best thing absolutely possible. Wait, are you saying you're not doing the best thing possible? <laughs> no, I'm saying I am, I am doing the best thing possible. <laughs> <laughs> but the only the, the reason I am I am willing to go way out of my way to do that is because I experience just constant anxiety otherwise. I mean, if it helps you sleep at night, I support it. <laughs> L- learning a new keyboard layout is is cheaper than drugs. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that needs to be on a bumper sticker. <laughs> well, I don't know. It depends because if you if you consider that your time is invaluable. Eh. I don't consider my time invaluable. Well, you probably should. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one thing that was brought up during that was the concept of themes. So mm-hmm. what themes are people using in VS Code? I'll go first. I'm using Sarah Drasner's Night Owl with a, t- a font face of Operator Mono. Yes, I paid money for my typography. <laughs> <laughs> Like Chris said, you want it to be a place you want to hang out. So, I mean, yeah. if you're going to stare at it all day, every day for years and years and years, is it worth it? Over my <laughs> oh, job, right. I've gotten so much worth out of it. Yeah. <laughs> or Elizabeth. Yep. Uh, so I'm also using Operator Mono and I use a theme called Horizon, which I really like because it's very warm and I like to look at things that are warm, you know. It looks kind of like a sunset color theme, so I really like that. There's a light version and dark version. I go for the dark version because I just think the light is like kind of burns burns my eyes a little bit. Right? Yeah. For a second, I thought she was like, I like it warm, so I thought she's gonna go light version. No, it's a dark but warm, dark but warm color. It's really nice. So (laughs) I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. No. Try try it. And it has really good like bright colors, but not too bright. And good contrast and everything. And then I have the italic version turned on. So with operator mono, you get the little cursive scripts, which is, yeah. I just find that like the cursive thing, it makes it actually really a lot easier to it. read because yeah. it differentiates. Yeah. So what about Chris? So I s- switch back and forth between uh, operator mono and Monaco. And I definitely, I use Monaco for like all the demos that I do, like in slides and stuff like that. Cause I find it just like, supremely readable and it's very familiar to a lot of people. Operator Mono can be a little bit pretentious with all that cursive. (laughs) (laughs) What are, I don't know. It's a cursive and code. I don't know. There's something a little bit about that. It's just like, oh, I am writing code. (laughs) Look at this. 
so I, I, I prefer Monaco most of the time, probably. And my theme is pretty heavily customized. I just use like a lot. I've changed a lot of the colors. And so there's not really like a base theme that I rely on now. I just never take the time. <laughs> I, I, fi I find it an investment because it means that whenever there's something that like I don't like, I don't have to go and start doing research for like a bunch of different themes where like oftentimes there's just like one thing that I kind of don't yeah. like about the theme. Yeah. And this way I can just change the thing that I want to change. Yeah, it's, like, it's like on my to-do list, like to actually like learn more about customizing themes because yeah, I'm really anal retentive about colors. <laughs> and VS Code has made it a lot easier than it used to be. Like you can yeah, just I mean, change like, a lot of colors like and settings. easy, but... <laughs> yeah, you don't even have to create like a, a, a theme that you publish and like is in an extension or anything like that. In the settings, you can change a lot of colors. And if you want to learn like more about like how you might create a custom theme. Sarah Dressner's Night Owl is probably like a great project to look at. You know, it's open source and she, she's on the Vue docs team. So like, obviously she documents it well. Uh, and <laughs> it demonstrates a lot of things about like how to create like a great theme. It's a great template to work off of, I think. So what about you, Ari? I, whew, I recently switched themes, which I never thought I would do because I was just so used to One Dark from Adam that like I just kept going with that. But the colors just started to piss me off too much. <laughs> Especially because like I have a crappy, I have crappy monitors and like it just, it, yeah, I couldn't do it. So I switched to another staple, Monokai. And I used Dank Mono, which is, I think looks pretty similar to Operator Mono and is also a, a font. It's just a little bit more dank. Exactly. <laughs> that's how I roll. This is this is like uh, operator mono is what they're they, they use in like ivory towers and dank mono is just like the cool like street font. You know, I want to say Sarah Drasner uses dank mono. I'm just saying. <laughs> She's pretty cool. Uh, right. Yeah. I think we can yeah. all agree on that. <laughs> yeah, I think this just supports the case. All right. So the big question: tabs or spaces? I hit the tab key and it puts in spaces. So neither. <laughs> no spaces. <laughs> Everybody hits the tab key. <laughs> <laughs> you can't pretend you don't have a side. Clearly you have chosen your side and it is spaces. Um, it's, only, it's only in Silicon Valley where... They completely, like, obviously they didn't talk to an actual programmer. <laughs> when she's just hitting the space. When she's just hitting space, and it's like, no, you don't understand that at all. Like, that's not the thing with tabs versus spaces. It's not about hitting the space bar versus the tab key. Everyone's hitting but the tab Some key. people, I think, actually do hit the space bar. But that is not the main argument. That is not the main tabs versus spaces argument. But yeah, no, I am on spaces. How many spaces? Oh, yeah, oh how many? two. two or obviously two. Obviously, yeah. too. Ooh, that was strong. I like it. I like the confidence. What do you think, Elizabeth? Yeah, I I hit the tab key as well. And I think I get four spaces out of that. So a little bit of a rivalry there. I don't, I don't know um, if we can be friends anymore, Elizabeth. <laughs> actually, wait, wait, wait. I was just looking at my config. I updated it. So originally, it started off with four spaces. And it looks like I've edited my VS code so that it uses two. 
So okay. clearly I don't feel strongly enough to the point where I don't, <laughs> I don't remember, but apparently I used two, two spaces for my tab size. Wait, are there monsters out there that just use three spaces? That's a good question. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Unforgivable. <laughs> that, that'd be weird. I use two spaces and it, because I'm a little bit obsessive like this, I like I investigated the problem. I figured like there has to be some research on what's more readable. And I found that like, two spaces, three spaces, and four spaces, all equally readable, like even giving people time to like get used to it. And even for people who aren't used to it, two, three, four, all equally readable, which means that two is obviously the optimal because you can fit more in your screen. Exactly. <laughs> and so two is technically the correct answer. I agree. <laughs> it is the correct answer. And there's only one correct answer. Well, I mean, there is in some cases, and this is one of them, I think. Like, we've investigated the problem. We have the tools. We have found that two, three, and four equally readable. So if you're using three or four, you are wasting screen space for no gain. Wait, but we haven't heard what Ben's preference is. <laughs> and before he says four. He's, no, he's going to say three. <laughs> Amateurs, five, okay? Five. What? No, not Okay. That is the um, wrongest of choices. Yeah. <laughs> that has been proven wrong. Now, so what's funny is I used to be spaces. And then so so this is what I, I, I joined a team that was very strongly tabs. And the rationale behind it was that you could let the developer choose the sizing of the indent. Because when you mm -hmm. choose the space indent, you can't technically choose the indent size. Where it's like you can choose how much a tab is represented by. Like if someone wants to do two, someone wants to do four. So it was interesting because basically at one point when I was working with the team, it was like, well, tabs are more accommodating to how a developer wants to look at their code versus like enforcing them to two or four. But personally, I prefer two spaces. I like to I bend think, people to my will. So I'm against tabs. <laughs> I think tabs would make sense if there wasn't like an actual correct answer. <laughs> well, technically, but since like, size there, is, be the like there is research that exists that shows like... Two, obviously the best, and anything else is suboptimal. I think, I think it's okay to force people to be right. But there's, there's only one weak argument I've heard for, for tabs. And it's like, well, that's like more characters. Two spaces is more characters than one tab. And okay, so it's a larger file size. Is it though? Because aren't we all minifying that anyway? So on the web, yeah, for us, for, for JavaScript, like we are usually minifying that, but then what if you don't want to have to rely on a build process like that? You know, I, I say it's like kind of, a, kind of a weak argument because it's almost, it's so insignificant <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of extra file size, but it's, it's there. I'm just going to, with an anecdote, casually refute that. So I work with, with a bunch of C programmers, not like C++, C. Like we're talking old school. And our CTO is possibly more anal retentive about code formatting than I am. And that's saying a lot. So he will put in spaces just to make sure everything lines up visually. <laughs> and like I said, he puts in spaces and he puts in lots of extra spaces and he's a C programmer. So it must be okay. Just saying. Although, isn't C compiled? So then that, it wouldn't matter then? Yeah, but 
C programmers definitely absolutely care about like bits, literally. Yeah, but it wouldn't make a difference in the compiled bits. Yeah, but there's still a file system that they care about, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah if they're still storing the code somewhere. Yeah, it's true. I should also mention that he also works in the storage array space. So literally his whole thing is about file size. <laughs> yeah, and I guess if, if someone is running out of hard drive space because they're using like two spaces instead of one tab, they have bigger like, problems. Just just get like a just get another hard drive. Like you've had this computer for 20 years now. It's time to get a new computer. <laughs> cool. So now that we have that figured out, I'm curious what all of your Git methodologies are because I feel like mine changes day to day. So sometimes I'll have bigger commit sizes, sometimes I'll have smaller commit sizes. Usually if I'm making one little change but going, you know, back and forth between like something that worked and something that didn't work, I'll go in and like fix up the commits and then I guess reword the the one that I squashed them all into so that it encapsulates like the one sort of feature I was trying to create. But if I'm working on like a larger feature, I'll usually, I don't know, a lot of times I will commit stuff like stash or stuff and progress and things like that. And then at the end, I'll go in and like organize them all and I'll squash them into commits and reward them to what actually happened before I actually push it up and then hopefully not forget to do that. Because sometimes I do look in my commit history that has been pushed up and see stuff like did things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's embarrassing. I mean, everyone has had that commitment. Yeah. I'm like, let's commit some more. So that gets farther and farther down and nobody sees what I did. Yeah. So then what is your commit methodology like? You know, like how much do you like to squeeze into one commit? When do you go ahead and edit things that you've already, like masters you've already committed and things like that? Yeah. Um, when it comes to Git, I might Git methodology. I'm a little actually OCD about this. I'll actually intentionally break up my commits because I try to tell a story with my commit messages. Of course. Um, I think everyone has like this horror story of like, you know, you're fixing this hot fix bug and you're looking at the code that like got broken and the commit message is code change. And you're like, this does not help me. Like why you did what you did. And so, yeah, so I sort of try to, I treat the Git log a little bit, basically like, yeah, like a documentation, basically. So it's the whole, like, try to keep it with one line. So I do the category thing where it's like, I do feature, like fix, you know, style, and then parentheses, the issue number, colon, and then like a, a short, like start with your action verb of what you did. And then just like a short description of why you did it. So that's like sort of like my format. Wow. That's so thought out. I do not do anything like that. I know that I probably should, but generally I'll make a branch with the issue number on it. And then everything inside that branch is just like my own thoughts kind of spilled out into a commit message <laughs> with no format whatsoever. <laughs> it's not without its fault though, because sometimes I'll be like into a like a feature and then I'll realize I should have committed a message earlier. So I'll like break it out to like recommit it differently. Oh, it's not sometimes... <laughs> But as a result, I don't need to squash a lot, but mm -hmm. I do love using rebase. I do love rebasing branches. I like to be realistic and show a very real story of my, you know, development journey. So I never <laughs> rebase. I never squash. What you get is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> Including, you know, the really frustrated commit messages, like did some things because I screwed up earlier. <laughs> <laughs> or I think my favorite commit message ever was, oopsies, fixing a typo. And my boss totally called me out on that one. He's like, oopsies. I'm like, yeah, oopsies. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're like, that's what happened. Yeah. That's what's in this commit. It's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so the size of my commits tends to vary. So right now we are getting ready for a release. And to be honest, we cut our release branch a little prematurely. So I'm having to merge new features into two different, very distinct branches. So I try to make it so I can just easily cherry pick into the release branch. So I now have the bad habit of larger commits just to make my life easier. Honestly, if otherwise it sort of varies like how in the zone I am because sometimes I'll just forget to commit for way too long. And I'm like, oh crap, I don't even remember what all I did. Well, we'll just do like the gist of like the overarching theme and totally skip all the other little things I did along the way. But yeah, that's me. Very natural <laughs> like with my commits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I do get what you're saying about telling a story. I do try to start with a verb, say what I did and why. There you go. It's all that matter really matters. But I do not keep it to one sentence. I am just not that awesome. I know. I never keep it within the commit message. I'm like, blah, 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 and then this, and then blah, blah. I'd rather have too much information than not enough. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I, I like descriptive commit messages. I think the more people you have in a team, the more important that is. You know, so when you're by yourself, like, I think it's okay sometimes to be just like, fix this. Okay, for real, actually fix it now. Okay, now it actually works. You know? Uh, so, I mean, since they are communication, like if there aren't a lot of cases where I'll go super far back in time to see like when, like what a commit says to see like why that change was made, because like there's so much other history in there as well, like around that code that changed. When I'm working by myself, like I really don't think the commit messages are, are that important, but when it is an open source project or you're working with a, like a team, especially a big team, then yeah, that those can be can be really, really handy. The case where I use commit messages the most, and this goes back to VS Code, is with, I have GitLens. Yes, uh, so you, helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so helpful. So you can just click on a line and it brings up the commit message. And so if you try and think about, okay, if someone clicked on this line, what would I want them to see about this? You know, why was this implemented or what does this relate to? That's really the only reason I ever use Git messages because I usually don't, unless I'm trying to scroll back through a branch and figure out, okay, what did I actually do in the last week? You know what I mean? Like, that's the only other reason that I will look at commit messages. But yeah, GitLens is awesome. I really, really, really prefer to view like commit history and stuff like that in my code editor as opposed to on GitHub or Bitbucket. It's just like a lot easier to look through. So that must be and nice to be able to use things like that. We just have an on prem Git server. Woo! Really? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's different. And for those wondering more about like sort of the formatting I was talking about, it is like an official like call it open source spec. It's called Commitizen. And so we'll be sure to include that in the show notes if you want to. Commitizen? Is that supposed to be like a play on words of citizen? citizen, yep. Okay. Be a good Commitizen. Good Commitizen. But yeah, GitLens is definitely a good recommendation. Love that. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, what are some of your other favorite VS Code extensions? I'll throw out one. Better comments. It allows you to annotate your comments in a way that will highlight them in different colors based on the annotation. And since I'm a very visual person and I like to like quickly parse things visually, I love it. So like, for example, if you just type to do in all caps, it'll highlight it in orange. So it's easy to find later. Oh my gosh. Okay. Cause I was going to say my, like the only other VS code extension I use is to do highlight 
So, so, so it's that. like that, but it also has like other <laughs> but, options, like alerts and questions. Yeah, I I have been looking for something like that, so I'll have to try it out. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Cool. My fun VS Code extension, there are many I like, but Polacode. So it's like Polaroid, but Polacode. So it allows you to take snapshots of your code, but like in like a pretty format. So it's Ooh. really good for like slides and that kind of stuff. If you're nice. not using already like Keynote or those sort of things. So Polacode is pretty great. Polacode. Yeah, we'll, when, for those listening, we will drop all these in the show notes. Yeah. Chris, you got any like fun VS Code extensions you like? Yeah, give me a moment to pull up like what I actually use in <laughs> Enterprise Boilerplate rather than just trying oh, yeah, to remember no. that. Because <laughs> especially for Vue developers specifically, there are in a .vs code folder, some an extensions.js file, which... Uh, VS Code will look at and recommend to you when you open that project and ask you if you want to install them. And the one that we mentioned already is Vitor, like for, for Vue projects. Vue Peak is also a great one for peak and go-to definition for .view files. There's a VS Code ESLint for lint on save with ESLint and lint on save with stylint. There's a shin of stylint, although that one... It seems like has been like deleted or something. So I have to find a replacement. Yeah, for it. I keep getting that warning and I'm like, I bet it's Chris's fault. And it is. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's not my fault. It's your fault. I didn't it delete was installed it. on my computer in the first place. So, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I will remedy this as soon as possible. But yeah, it's been annoying for me too. And I just haven't had uh, the time to research it yet. Yeah, me neither. Um, I didn't care that much. <laughs> Format on save with Prettier. Uh, that's Prettier VS Code. And for SESS IntelliSense, VS Code, SESS. And then VS Code Jest for better Jest integration. And then VS Code Markdown Lint to Lint Markdown files in the editor. And if that's it. Those are all the ones that I recommend Ooh. in the Enterprise Boilerplate. If it's not obvious, Chris really likes linting. Yeah, I really like linting because I'm lazy. I don't like having to do stuff. And I like it when my tools can just like fix errors that I make for me automatically and let me know that like I did something wrong before I have to like see an error in like my web browser or see something just not working the way that I expected it to and then wonder why. And you have to avoid those awkward PRs, right, Chris? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to have to tell someone like, hey, you missed a space. I don't, don't want to be that jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, I think as far as the last tools, I think we should do as before we wrap up the show, if you can name one productivity app that really helps to improve your workflow in your life, what would that be? So to give like a more inspiration. So for me, I really love Calendly. It's basically like you give a URL to someone and they can just schedule stuff on your calendar. Like it saves me so much time when people are like, let's find a time to chat and you don't have to like open up your calendar and then like message them and then switch contacts. Like just send them a link, they'll figure it out and everything's automated. So Calendly is my like one of the best productivity uh, hacks that I've had for me. Does anyone else want to go next? Well, okay. My number one productivity app, I'm not going to say because Ben, I think it's your pick today. So I'm going to leave it for your pick. <laughs> nope, not at all. Um, go for what is it? What is your, what is your pick? Yeah, Notion. Oh my gosh. Notion is my number one favorite productivity tool. I keep track of everything in there. Like what am I currently working on? Create Kanban boards or Kanban or whatever task boards. 
whatever you want to call it. And like my own little documentation of, you know, like, for example, if I'm debugging something, this is really dumb, but I will open a new notion tab and I will like write almost this murder mystery style story about it. <laughs> like, try and figure out, I you know, want to see these I know. Like, I, I need an example. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do. This is what I use notion for. It's really awesome. I used to do it in my notebook, just like write down, you know, not, in any kind of creative way, but I'll kind of list all of the possible suspects and things like that, and I'll eliminate them and list what do I know about the situation, things like that. So I use Notion for that. That really helps me with debugging. And then I mentioned on a previous episode to Doist, and that was being really helpful for me uh, for keeping track of like to-do items. And then I, this is actually going to be my pick. So now I've ruined Ben's pick and my pick for this episode. <laughs> my pick is a new to-do app I found that is better for like, I don't know. I, it's a lot simpler than Todoist. It's called Minimalist. Two Love words squished together. Yeah, Minimalist. And it's like a really, really clean UI where it just basically lists your to-dos and you can just cross them off. And there's like nothing else to it. It's super nice. And there's no buttons or anything. It's all controlled with like screen gestures, like pulling down or pinching and things like that. So yeah, that's good if you want to stay in really focus mode. And it even has, I think it's got like a Pomodoro timer method on it. Pomodoro, your tasks. Yeah. So so for that one, you can't have like different priorities and due dates and stuff like that? I don't think you can have due dates. You can move them around like up and down, but it's really for just super simple. Super minimalist. yeah. Yeah. Any productivity tools that make your life a lot easier? Yeah, I don't use any productivity apps, so I'm feeling a little left out right now. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm very much a handwritten person, so I do, I do use a special notebook that it uses a disk binding system so you can like move around the pages in it because I'm really, I'm really anal about that. Like it really bothers me like if I didn't leave enough room because I was going going to go back to like some notes and then like I have to like split it into a different, uh, I just, I can't, I can't. <laughs> so I picked up this notebook actually at Office Max. It brand is um, Tool, T-U-L, and I really like it. But yeah, I don't use apps because I retain things better by writing them down. That includes to-do things. So because <laughs> ADHD it. and my brain just, yeah, <laughs> if I don't write it down, it does not stick. How about you, Chris? I'm going to say my favorite productivity tool is researching productivity tools Uh, because ultimately what we're trying to do is just get like a a better sense of control in our lives when like we feel just like totally out of control that's what it's all about We're, we're not getting anything more done we're just spending a bunch of time like maintaining our systems so that we feel like we're optimized but it, we, we could just be reading a book and enjoying that in the sun instead. It does, it does actually help you feel a lot more in control to like purposefully choose the systems that you're engaging with. And, and it can give you a better, a better sense of control. And having things like outsourced into a bunch of different systems can help you feel more peace of mind just in your free time and make you feel less guilty about taking free time because you you can trust your systems that there's nothing on fire that you're forgetting about that you should be taking care of right now. And, and that I think is the ultimate productivity tip to actually be able to enjoy your free time with whatever systems that you use. All right. And with that, are we ready to move on to picks? All right. Let's have you start us out. Okay. I'm actually going to throw in an additional pick that I didn't plan on just because 
we didn't have time to get to this. I recently discovered an app called Makoon, and I actually I discovered it because of Marina Mosti's book. But it allows you to quickly mock out servers. <laughs> and since I don't really do a whole lot of backend development anymore, it makes it really easy to just build like a quick dummy API, like for a proof of concept. So Makoon, I highly recommend it. It's super simple to use. My other pick is a show on Netflix, like always, <laughs> Diagnosis. So it was created by a woman who was actually a consultant on the show House. And what she, she has a weekly article in New York Magazine. And she used that to start crowdsourcing diagnoses for complex cases. And so I think it's, I want to say it was like six episodes. And it's really interesting seeing these people on their journey to try to find answers for things that they have no answers to. Not everyone gets the answer they want, though. I just will say that. <laughs> and those are my picks. Chris, would you like to go next? So my picks are a Black Mirror episode. And to give a little context, there's only one Black Mirror episode prior to this that I have ever enjoyed. All of the rest I found kind of silly and not very interesting because it's just like terrible people, like people being terrible to each other, often in a way that has nothing to do with the technology that's being explored. And so that's like, it's fair, not, fair. it's just <laughs> kind of silly to me, but one that I really, really, really did enjoy is San Junipero. Beautiful, beautiful episode. And I had a friend recently tell me like, well, if you like San Junipero, there are two other episodes you should check out. And those are Striking Viper and Hang the DJ. And I watched Striking Viper recently and absolutely loved it. Or Striking Vipers, I think. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to watching the other one, Hang the DJ. I won't give you any spoilers, but these are not typical Black Mirror episodes. They're actually very good and not trying to like find some way to be like, oh, how can we make this like dark or something? Wouldn't that be cool? If like, you know, we'd have this cool technology, but then like people were terrible to each other. Wouldn't that be weird? So weird. You know, it, it actually ex explores in a, in a more interesting way, like how technologies could affect our lives and relationships. Like, I know I've watched these, but I cannot remember them for life. Me, so I'm going to have to go look them up. <laughs> and my second pick is uh, building on Elizabeth's recommendation for Notion. Notion can also be used for relationships. I use Notion for a lot of my own relationships. You can list activities that you'd like to do together, discussion topics that you'd like to get to, boundaries, agreements, communication tools that you use to like better communicate with each other. And I don't mean tools as in apps. I mean, tools as in like strategies to, to figure out what people mean when they say like, I'd like to do X. I have a request system that's like zero to four on how much people actually want it. I won't go into a lot of detail there. And also like red, yellow, green for emotional capacity before like a, a difficult conversation. There, there are a lot of great tools that it can be useful to, to share in relationships. You never have to think of like, oh, let's hang out on Friday, but what do you want to do? And it's like, well, we have like a huge backlog of stuff we want to do. <laughs> Organized, <laughs> rated, and sorted by how much time it'll take, how much physical energy it'll take, how much emotional energy it'll take, how much each person wants to do that thing with each other. Any other like side notes, oh, and it's, it's so wonderful. It makes everything easier. And you can just focus more <laughs> of your time on just like being together and building connections. I love that. I've never thought of organizing my relationships in that way. So that's actually a really good, it's a really good tip. Why not? You know, 
I just don't have relationships and then it's so much easier. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually being pretty honest. Yeah, you're, you're going the more minimalist route. Exactly. That's you it. Have I'm relationships. minimalist with my friendships. <laughs> so speaking of minimalist, since I ruined my pick, that's my pick, but Amazing I have a segue. backup. <laughs> I have a backup. It is a View Test Utils handbook by Lachlan Miller, who is a, the, the, or a, I think the maintainer of view test utils. Yeah. It's just basically like, I haven't even gone through the whole thing yet, but it's basically a handbook that shows all a whole bunch of different examples and like, just like ways to use view test utils. So that's my backup pick. I mean, I think it's about to be helpful for me. So yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And so for me to wrap things up, my fun pick for the week is a new anime I just learned about called Dr. Stone. And so for those who are like tired of like watching bit torn in animes with like bad, you know, stream quality and stuff, this sort of adjacent pick to that is Crunchyroll. I'm paying for the premium subscription and it's actually quite pretty great because you can basically legally download the animes for offline viewing. So if like watching anime, definitely check out Crunchyroll. But Dr. Stone was really interesting. Basically, the premise is the entire human race has been petrified to stone. And they wake up in like the Stone Age again and they've lost all this technology. And they, so it's kind of like a fun education because you learn about like what they need to do to like get back the technology they lost. Like if the world had to start over again, but they had the knowledge from that millennia. Anyways, it's, it's pretty interesting. And as Elizabeth mentioned, my second pick is uh, Notion. Uh, so to build on everyone's love for Notion, I think my one thing will be the fact that the infrastructure it allows you to build is insane because of the templates and relational databases. So I know that's a lot to unpack if you're not really like advanced into Notion, but maybe one of these days I'll actually create a course around Notion. I've been toying with that for some time now. Yeah, anyone have any final thoughts? Well, I, I do want to mention, yeah, Ari, when you were mentioning the, the book by Marina Mosti, were you referring to Building Forms with Vue.js by Marina Mosti? I absolutely was. That excellent book? It really, no, seriously, excellent book. <laughs> we'll make sure to include that in the show notes. But yeah, with that, thanks everyone for joining us this week. And until next week, enjoy the view. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view.